0: This episode of the Jason Cabinet Experience is from the time I was a guest on the Coder Conversations podcast with Kevin Miller. The Jason Cabinus Experience is sponsored by Cabinus HR. Cabinet HR delivers HR to companies with 49 or fewer people across the United States with our platform that automates HR products and services while giving you access to a dedicated HR business partner for more complicated HR challenges. Small business loses an estimated $10,000 $10,000 per employee per year because of unreliable HR. Small business owners are spending an average of 25% of the time on HR. Time that will be better spent taking care of the people, the customers, and building their business. Cabinets HR saves small business owners time and money on, on their HR. Sign up at www.cabinetshr.com or email me at jasoncabinets at cabinetshr.com to learn more. Cabinets HR, focus on your business. You've got your HR. Don't you have to Don't you know? Pump it up!
1: You've got to pump it up! Don't you know? Pump it up! This is the Jason Cabinets Experience, hosted by Jason Cabinets. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners and startup founders and other interesting people as we gain great insights about business, people, leadership, HR, and how each guest tries to be great every day. Welcome to another episode of Code of Conversations. Today we have Jason Kafton, CEO of Cabinets HR and host of the Jason Cabinets HR Experience. How's it going, man?
0: Pretty good, Kevin. Thanks for having me.
1: Good to catch up with you again. Yeah, man. Definitely glad to have you. Uh, so, what, uh, can you, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself?
0: Yeah. You know, it's always hard to do that. I mean, you talk about yourself, right? I mean, but it's something you got to get used to doing it as an entrepreneur or whenever you're trying to do something right. So, I'm a, uh, I'd like to say I'm a tattooed INFJ, retired U.S. Army officer. Tattooed because I have like 45 tattoos on my body. I'm INFJ because of Lamar Briggs, I'm an INFJ. Supposedly, oh, there's only one or three percent of us in the world. Like, we like do things differently and we're like, kind of weird. And I spent 25 years in the Army where I retired like, back in 2015. Um, I'm a CEO founder of an HR tech startup called Cameras HR. We do HR companies for 49 or people. And I'm sure me and Kevin will get into all the tech challenges I've had with that as far as being a, a, non, a non-tech founder. And also, uh, like uh, Kevin said, host a podcast where I talk to interesting people. So like, like long-form in-person podcast. Actually, I have a lot of fun doing that.
1: So how did you make the transition from the Army into HR?
0: So I actually did HR in the army, right? So the, I think the better story is like how I transitioned from the military to startups. So back in 2015, when I retired, back then everyone in the army said, no, go to LinkedIn trying to find a job. So I'm on LinkedIn, connect with people, trying to find work, whatever your case may be. This guy named Mark and Roe reached out to me. He said, hey, Jason, my name is Mark and Roe. I have a startup called Myerfold. We're gonna help military veterans find jobs by doing skills tests and not resumes. And we meet in person and you tell me how the Army helped me find a job. Actually, well, one question for you. What are the blanks of a startup? I had no clue, no concept what a startup was, right? Like, you just can't start a company. That's not allowed. All the companies in the world already exist, right? You know, you laugh, give me a quick version of startups. And it really intrigued me, right? And I mean, I really hit it off, so I convinced him to let me work for a startup for a couple of years. And from there, I learned that most small businesses don't have HR. So just like a slow transition that way. Of course, a lot more details. to it. Yeah, but it, it was very interesting.
1: So, yeah, um, what, what were some of the challenges that you've come across when you started running your own startup?
0: So the challenge is, you know, everyone's going to say everyone's going to be nice. And like, yes, Jason, I'll buy it. this, this I'll do this. You know, but are, are they really going to right? Are they just be nice because you're a friend or because, you know, even if they're not your friend, most people don't want to tell you that your idea sucks. Right. So how do you get really how do you really get true feedback? Right. And then, you know, on the other end, somebody might give you true feedback they're just like a jackass for they right. So it's like, it's a balance, you know, you just got to learn how to listen to people and what they're not saying. To me, I've learned, I've learned more from what people don't say to me versus what they say, you know. Um, and it's just, it's just a challenge, right? I mean, you have all these, you know, these myths out there, the stereotypical founder gets rich in six months or I get fundraising in less than a year. I mean, that's true if you are like saying name Zuckerberg or Musk. Or maybe Adam Newman, you know, the guy from WeWork, who just raised like $100 million. But for most people, it doesn't work like that. It's a grind. I mean, I know people who like worked in their store for six years and finally got the first round of funding. It's, it's not easy. Not in, and and then the time cost loss, right? Suppose you're making, you could have made like 80000 a year, right? That's the money you lost too. But not only that, the time you lose, right? Time away from your family because, you know, it, it's a grind.
1: Yeah, I've heard uh, it usually takes like five years or so before uh, new businesses become profitable. Like, how, how did you stay afloat until the profits started coming in? So, I'm,
0: I'm very fortunate. Like I said, I retired from the Army and, you know, have a few bills. But, you know, I'll be honest, if I was like a, just a regular Joe person, like had no retirement, there's nowhere I could do this, right? I mean, there's no way. I couldn't imagine like having a full-time job, making good money and, and, doing, this, and doing this full-time right. I mean, I know people do it. No more proud of them, but I, I don't think I could do it right. That's why I'm very fortunate having like a military pay that can like pay all the bills and don't I like, give me like bootstraps, so to speak. But yeah, like like those people that, like thought doing a full time and full and a full time job, yeah, more proud of them. But and that's a lot.
1: So if if you did have a full time job, you say you would just do this on the side.
0: Yeah, I'll probably just do it on the side. Because that's, that's one thing, like, they'll tell you, you know, keep your full time job doing the side until you get traction and stuff. And then most investors will, will don't, won't even talk to you unless you're doing this full time, right? So, how do you transition? And, and another thing, like, if you're doing a business, like, some people meet you, like, meet with you on the weekends at 5 p.m. Like, is uh, uh, a customer we're really gonna meet with you at 7 p.m. on a Thursday night? Maybe they will, maybe they're wrong, right? And if you have a job, you have to go to the office seven days from nine to five and be in a cubicle. And people watching you, like, it's going to be hard for you to, like, do stuff for your job between nine and five. But there's, and there's so much advice out there, too. is the thing i talk about, too. If you do start a company, you'll get so much advice from people. Some you won't ask for, some you will ask for. And you got to take all out with a grain of salt. Because someone might tell you something that was successful then, like, two years ago. But there's a different economy, different area. Your business might be different. So you have to take everything with a grain of salt. And most people do, like, you know. Have good intentions. Also be aware, there's all a lot of scams out there, right? Who, like, like feed on like new startup founders and like only want so to still say, "Hey, pay me fifty dollars a month. I'll do this for you," and they do nothing right.
1: Exactly. So, so how, how do you determine whether uh, somebody is actually capable of doing what they say? Like, what are some of the criteria?
0: Yeah. So that's something I, I definitely sucked at at first, right? Another problem I had too. Like, not a problem, but like, a, a mistakes I made. It'll be like some, i, I would see a platform, right? I don't really need this platform right now. i put that as a sales platform. I don't really need a sales platform right now. But they'll offer me for like a, a extra, like too much free, 50% of these costs, whatever case may be. I can afford this. And then eight months later, I spent all this money and I never used it. So even though it sounds like a great deal, I basically flushed down this money down, down the toilet. And there's so many like, people out there doing things, right? Like, like I don't care if it's HR, marketing, sales, product development, Google Analytics. There's like thousands and thousands of people who are doing something great, and there's really really no way for you to like do the background check, a deep dive. So sometimes you gotta trust your instinct, trust the websites. Hopefully you know people who can refer you to you. Uh, for for example, at least once a day, I get a LinkedIn message from somebody in Bangladesh talking about you know. My SEO is horrible. They want to fix it for me. Hmm. I can't talk for anyone else, but I don't know if I'm going like, to give my SEO up to some random guy in a third world country. Right? I mean, I'm sure some people do, and I'm fine with it, but I don't see doing that right. And also, you gotta, I think uh, you have to have a lot of touch points for people, too. to, And then again, even you, like, even you trust someone and you know them, there's, no, um, there's still a risk that might rip you off, right? Because you never know if someone's too... Um, nature, so to speak, right? You might see them at every networking event. Everyone likes them, and then pay them some money for doing something, and they, they go see, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's not easy. It's a hit and miss. Like, I gotta say, like, I'm not God, so I don't know people's heart or with the line or not. You just have to take the risk because you know eventually you can't do everything yourself.
1: So a lot of it's uh, word of mouth, really. Like the
0: uh... yeah, word, word of mouth, uh, your instincts. Um, like for example, if. Um, like here's a good one. So about uh, so me and Kevin pre both active LinkedIn. I get this all the time. Someone will send me a LinkedIn message, "Hey Jason, I saw your LinkedIn profile. Um, you can do, do you we do be do doing a better job growing your network?" And they'll like, send me this like like ten page paragraph of LinkedIn messages, like why should I let them take over my LinkedIn profile? And I looked at their profile, and they have like 200 connectors, right? Yeah. And I have like way way more than that, right? Like why am I gonna let you? That just makes sense to me, right?
1: Exactly. So, uh, like, speaking of LinkedIn, uh, you say you got 20,000 followers. How long did it take you to grow to that many followers?
0: So, so I started, I got my account in 2013, so it's definitely been a slow process, right? But it, 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 before, say, every time I meet someone, I network and I say, do you want to connect on LinkedIn? or I, I, like, I used to send out a lot of connections. I remember we said it sent out to be connections now. But, I mean, cause I do have 20,000 and that might seem a lot, but I know people are like way, way more than that. Like those people are like I was like, you know, followers on LinkedIn, right? So I'm very junior. And then I know who made this rule, but suppose the rule is you need to have at least 500 connections on LinkedIn to like be like, you know, a known person on LinkedIn, I guess. Who made that rule up? I have no idea, but I always heard that 500 rule.
1: Have you had like any interesting opportunities as a result of being visible on LinkedIn?
0: I mean, a lot of people we talked to on the podcast. Uh, of course, I get all the, like everyone else does, all the, I don't hate to say spam messages, but some, the spam messages, you know. And I think lately, like probably like once a week, I get some random LinkedIn request from someone who's like a Asian female. It'll say she's 24 mm-hmm. years old, but she's CEO of some billion dollar company out of Singapore, right? So yeah. I've got a lot of those, you know. And, and LinkedIn is an interesting place, right? Like it doesn't know what it wants to be. I think is it is a it business, is it Facebook, is it something else? I think I think it'd be everything. Right? There's a lot of great content on content on there. Um, I know a lot, of, a lot of people get mad at they'll post like I don't like this post. it's blah blah blah. I would be like, if you don't like it, you know? Maybe it's not for you. Just scroll on. You don't have to leave a comment, you know? But a lot of people like feel like they got to leave a leave a two paragraph comment on why this certain post is not for LinkedIn. Right? Well, mm-hmm. maybe it's maybe it's not for you. Maybe it's for her followers, or maybe whatever the case may be, right?
1: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting uh, place, man. Speaking of uh, podcasting, what made you want to get into the podcasting sector?
0: So, I really I did it. So, I, I made a, some big pivots on podcasts. I really did my podcast. It was called the Cavendish HR Podcast. It was like marketing my company. When I first did it, I did like everyone else, like 30 minute podcast. and I was talking to other HR people. And finally, like, sometimes I'm kind of slow as for like being smart, you know, sometimes the light bulb like, comes on real slowly. So it finally dawned on me, like, if you're doing the podcast for a company, these HR people are not going to buy HR from you, right? Especially if they own HR company, HR directly, right? Makes no sense, right? And so I transitioned to the Jason Cavett experience where I talked to, like, you know, people like entrepreneurs, other interesting people, small business owners. Also, when I was doing a 30-minute podcast, like, it just went too fast, right? Because I'm a curious person. I had all these questions I wanted to ask. And so I, like, I transitioned to like, a long-form podcast so I could ask questions I wanted to like, you know. like I had a, the guy on Saturday, uh, Kevin, he's a president of a cybersecurity company. I thought, if I, I, I had done a 30-minute podcast it would just be about his business. But since we did it two and a half hours, I learned that he, that he sailed from Miami to Italy, that he lived here since 2013 from Germany, that he can go to the garden with his kids, you know? So just learning those kind of things, right? More of a deep dive. And, and everyone will tell me, Jason, there's no way I can talk for two hours, right? Or three hours, right? There's no way. But every single time we're, like, finish a three-hour podcast, every time they say, Jason, I, I thought, why are you only talk for 30 minutes? I'm like, dude, check your watch. And no one believes how fast the time goes by. Especially, like, if the people, you know, have a good back and forth, ask the questions, you know. And, of course, you know, offer, offer bourbon, too. So, when the guests drink bourbon, that really makes it a whole lot better. Like, they really start, you know, just talk, talking.
1: So, yeah, I noticed uh, you really got your studio set up there. Um, so is most of your podcast done in person now? Yeah, they're pretty much, they're pretty much all in person. Uh,
0: I try to anyway. And so I'll tell you, like, people like, who want to, think, like, to start on podcasts, like, most people, they start, they start, like, a laptop, a, a webcam, like a, like, a cheap $35 mic, right? There's no need, like, to go all out, right? I mean, you, you can do that later on. Like, you know, get some, um, get some listeners, get some downloads for your upgrade. Another thing, too, make sure it's something you really want to do. I think the stats show that, like, for, for every 100 people start a podcast, only five are still doing it after 10 episodes. Because I was like during, during COVID, like, millions of people start a podcast for their home, while pretty much none of them are doing podcasts anymore. Um, I think I'll make this, of course, I'll make this number up. I think on Apple Podcasts, they have like 8 million or 9 million registered podcasts on there, but only like a little less mm-hmm. than a billion dollars actually pushed out podcasts on a regular basis, right? So if you want to start a podcast, start working because it's not as many podcasts as you think. But definitely know it's going to be, you know, it's going to be yeah. a grind. And most people think, you know, you need to do at least 100 podcasts for like your, before you upgrade, before you decide what you're going to do, right? And you're going to, and you're going to pivot too.
1: Yeah, I think most people kind of look at it as a get rich quick scheme. They think they, they got they got yes. some good information, they're gonna pop up, then millions of people are just gonna jump on, but it yes. doesn't work like that. Yeah, everyone's not Joe
0: Rogan, right? And people don't realize Joe Rogan was Joe Rogan way before he started the podcast, right? Like he had a following. He was on Fair Factor, he was on TV shows. And even if you go back to like Joe Rogan's first hundred, I mean they they I mean they suck, right? They're they're freaking horrible, right? And he did it just to, you know, have a fun, have a platform. And now, you know, it's turned into something totally, like, you know, engaging, right? So you have to do it for, like, you know, like you said, put information out. And I know I think too, people say, do a podcast to make money. Do a podcast to put your stuff out there. You need to do a podcast because it's something you want to do. Like, you need to do a podcast if it was just you and, like, 10 listeners, right? Something you want to have fun with. And then, and then the downloads and listens, a lot of people I know... They'll quit if the podcast only has only has like 55 listeners, right? Or 55 downloads. They'll give up, oh, I don't, I'm not getting enough listeners, whatever. And I always try to say, <coughs> what, what would you give to talk to 55, the same 55 people once a week in, in person, right, in right? And you got to think it like that. If you only have 55 downloads, these 55 people listen to you every day, I mean every week, and you give them the information. That's 55 potential customers, 55 potential something, right? That you have, that you yeah. never going to have regardless.
1: Yeah, know, a lot of people don't realize it's like really hard to, you know, get get attention because there's so many other podcasts. So that doesn't determine the quality of the podcast. It's just like hard to break out when there's so many other people doing the same thing.
0: And that's a great point, Kevin. Like you're just not competing against other podcasters. You're competing like, you know, TV, Netflix, radio. You're competing against all forms of content. You're competing against, you know, somebody that's decided, you know what? I'm not going to watch anything today. I'm doing a 24 hour um, digital fast. Right. You're competing against all of
1: that. Exactly. So, so like, it's almost like you have to do something extreme to stand out or you just have to be extremely consistent. To... Yes. Yes. Like, what, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned about podcasting?
0: Yes, um, I think that's going to be consistent. And um, I think the main thing you got to for me, I think, I, yeah, I think you have to put the focus on your guests, Right. You have to make your guests shine as best as you can. I remember I was on a podcast one time like a few years ago. The podcast was 30 minutes long. I talked for three minutes. I'm like, how How as I as a guest are we going to talk for three minutes, right? So I think you don't want to do that. I think the good ratio is like somewhere where 70-30 for your guests, maybe 80-20, you know, 80%, 70% for your guests and then you talk some, you know, and I always encourage your guests like talk more, and go expand on stuff. Um, of course, there's a fine line. If you ask a question and 30 minutes later they'll start talking, you might want to, you know, try to cut them off and you know, redirect them. And another thing with podcasts too, you never know who's listening, right? I mean, you just never know who's listening or not listening. I've been a network in Oh, yeah. I'm listening to your podcast all the time. I mean, you, you like, because you sometimes forget when you're doing podcasts that people actually listen to it, right? Yeah. And it's evergreen it's ever content. So, I've had people say, hey, I just listened to your podcast with so-and-so. I'm like, man, I didn't even hear it two years ago, right? How do you find that? Oh, I just went to a Google search and it came up. Um, so there's that. And for me, it's just a lot of fun. I can meet a lot of interesting people i would never met. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a naturally curious people person. Like when I talked to a guy Kevin on Saturday, I had no idea he was in sailing. So I could have talked for like two hours just on sailing, right? I mean, like this dude, he sailed from Miami to Italy with three other people on a cell and none of them knew each other. Right. So like, you just learn stuff like that. Like I know the guy I learned of Brett Green. He's like really big in, in the tech startup scene here. He was a road manager for the um, Ramones for 10 years. I would never learn that. So you just learn a lot of interesting things about people that you wouldn't know if you just doing a 30 minute podcast. And people say, I'm sure you just the same thing, Kevin. Like, how you get all these guests? Well, first of all, like someone used to have something to sell, right? Either a book, a product, they wanna talk about themselves. That's if, if you're an entrepreneur, right? Most people as entrepreneurs want to get out there and talk about as much the company as much they can. And with you with know, developers, the developers, they want to know how they how they're growing, you know, themselves to get a job, right? Everyone has a story to they want to ask, oh everyone has a story to tell, but you have to ask the right questions to
1: get the story out. Yeah, now what, what I found is like, um, you know, especially in the software space, a lot of people are introverts. So this kind of gives them an opportunity to, to to talk to people when they normally don't do that on a day-to-day basis. So that's kind of like one of the reasons that a lot of them have come onto my platform. So it's, it's yes. pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, plus you, you ask great questions, too. I think that's a good, big thing, too. Like I would listen to some podcasts. And you were like, man, that's how this guy asks horrible questions, right? Or this guy's not a good conversationalist, right? And people ask me where I get my question from. So my process is when someone comes on, they have this, a similar bio, and I do like a quick Google search or social media search. I get my target points from there. And then before we start, before we go live, I ask them what is there anything specific you want me to ask you, and then probably more importantly, is there anything you don't want to talk about, and then we just start talking, right? Because something pops in my head, I might ask it. You know, I'm not like too crazy. You know, like, but usually something pops in my head, I just ask that question.
1: So, like, uh, when when you started your podcast originally, it was a HR based podcast, and you kind of transitioned more into yes. a general space. Yeah, just HR questions. Yeah, it's, it's it was really got so boring,
0: same yeah. stuff every day. You know, and what I used to do, and I couldn't change. I used to ask like the person, "What do you think about what? What do you think about HR?" Some would say, I don't think about it at all. I don't need HR. So, probably was a good thing we have kind of an HR business, but people say HR is not needed, right? So, I had to quickly change that.
1: <laughs> exactly. I think it's kind of the danger of being too niche. Like most of the podcasts, they start sounding the same, like you mentioned, and you get bored. And if you're bored, that's that's it for the podcast. Though. Yeah. You
0: know. And I know some people would say you should do a podcast, like be niche, like only talk to HR people only business. But even like I'm, I'm pretty general, like, all my beta testers, uh, my customers, my notes and intents, all that came from the podcast, my board advisors came from the podcast. So a lot of stuff came from the podcast, even though it's not like a niche HR thing. And, and, and you're, you're, you're always learning, right? So when I first started, I would just do the podcast with someone, right? But what I do now is like, I ask them to like, do an Apple podcast review, I Ask them to subscribe to my YouTube channel, and I do a demo with them before we get started, right? So before I would do that, so now I, I try to do that stuff. Take better advantage of someone being in my studio
1: with me. Yeah, I, th- I think like with the, the, the niche thing that uh, it initially it can get you more eyes, but uh, it's kind of dangerous because if that sector kind of falls out of favor, then your podcast is essentially done for. So Yes, yes. So, like, what, what direction are you planning on taking your podcast in the future? Are you going to pretty much stay in the same uh, alignment or are you going to...
0: Yeah, I think I'm going to stay the same alignment. Um, like, I've done a better job of, like, pushing out clips. Like, five, one, ten minute clips, pushing on the social media, YouTube, stuff like that. I've done a better job of that. Um, I, I, I just got to move to a new studio recently, like, on March 1st. So, I'm doing an in-person podcast now. Again, that's been real good. Um... Upgraded some of my camera equipment. Had a guy, my friend, of my Kevin, he set everything up for me, like the wiring, the lights, you know, he does stuff for me. That, so that's a big help. That's a big event to have too. So it would just be, it would be like stuff everywhere, right? The angles are correct, all that kind of stuff. So that's good. And I just like, you know, I just like doing it, right? It's, even in my, like, if I shut down Kevin's five, I, I would
1: still keep on doing the podcast, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's, that's the strength of actually loving what you're doing because, like, when you don't see that you're getting the numbers you expect, uh, if you don't love it, you're just gonna end up quitting. So you know, yes, I, I think it's that consistency that eventually, you know, you'll start breaking through once more and more people start watching. But you have to kind of stick with it until you get to that point.
0: Yeah, and, and then you always get like little, um, little facts that make you think you're doing better, right? Because like, I get emails every day from like podcast agencies or people know want to be on the podcast. Last time I checked, I think I have a backlog of 150 people want to be on the podcast, you know, both either in person or with Zoom, right? So to me, that's a good indicator that I'm doing something right. And eventually, eventually numbers come. Even and like my numbers are like high, high. But anything like, you know, uh, regarding the podcast, I think after Show, if you only get like 500 downloads an episode, you're like in the top 50%, you know. If you think about five hundred downloads, is not a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So and then I think if you have like a thousand, you're like top ninety percent, something like that. You know, of course, the drug world, the Tim Ferris's, the Gary V's, like, the top zeros, 0.1%, right? Millions of views, right? But if your podcast only gets 500, top 50 percent Only 1,000, you're, like, top 90%, right? So it doesn't take a lot to be up there.
1: And sometimes I think those numbers that they show you, they're, they're not even accurate because oh, sometimes yeah. I see weird stuff, like somebody got 150 thumbs up, but 20 views or something. Like, how I know, yeah. Happened?
0: Yeah, I know podcast stats—they're so jacked up, right? Like, you might have an episode and it be like lots of views. The next one would be like hardly any views, and like there's all these like none of the stats sync up. Stats sync, right? Like you have Apple, you have YouTube, Spotify. Like, you might have like a we'll say 300 downloads on on on, your, on Apple Podcasts, but then we'll say a thousand views on LinkedIn for a clip you put on LinkedIn, right? So how does that all add up, right? To the does a thousand count for your podcast stats? Like, I don't know. It's it's, it's, it's confusing. it's Like, whenever someone asks me like how many downloads you get, like, man, I could give you a number, but i probably
1: to you, right? Exactly. I think you know the bigger the bigger thing now is just to focus on like like you mentioned, the people who's actually reaching out to you, and that's where the real opportunities come from. Not necessarily being like somebody who has the stats of a million watchers, because you know, like you mentioned uh those aren't necessarily accurate i kind of feel like the, the gatekeeping is back like you know the big companies they say okay we want this 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 yeah. person to be pushed suppress so everybody else
0: yeah another thing i should do and i got away from when i first started I was, like really like track numbers and stuff like almost like not daily but you know, sometimes we all go track numbers now i do like once in the blue moon you know because like first of all if you're tracking numbers they're never going to be high as you want them right you're always going to be disappointed so and but then again you know you're still going to track numbers like, once in a while, I think sort of kind of, like, if you're, like, we'll say you have 2,000 downloads an episode, and three months later you can't make it, it's, like, down to 200, obviously you're doing something wrong, right? So I do think you have to track it some kind of way, or, or maybe, like, me, I add everything up and divide it by an episode number, which I know is not accurate, you know, but it's it works for me, yeah. So don't, I don't want really to worry about numbers too much, unless you're, like, trying to get monetized, and then most podcast, podcast advertising you have to be, like, Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss, you know, because... I think you got to have at least a minimum of 10,000 downloads an episode. And even then, I think if you get 10,000 downloads an episode. You only make like 10 bucks off it or something, something insane.
1: Yeah. Is it, like, you know, those, those people that's making like 50 million or 10 million, that's kind of like a super tiny yeah. like, sector. So, like, I, I think podcasts are good for visibility, uh, putting information out, making connections. Like, if you need a benefit other than just enjoying podcasting. Like,
0: yeah. And no time to do the podcast, I've been this for a while. So, like, suppose I have like a two hour podcast with someone. I'll go and I'll go through it and like, I'll take our clips of that person talking, like doing something, some, saying something cool, something nice. make like, a two minute video of it. I'll repost that like maybe six months later and say, you know, put it on LinkedIn, like, hey, at, you know, Kevin Miller talks about how we got into the software development, development, right? And what it, and what it does like, he'll get, you know, Kevin will get tagged. And I'll be like, oh man, I forgot about this podcast with Jason. And maybe this, maybe. You might just talk to someone who needs HR or maybe so it keeps you top of mind with those people you talked to before and let you know that, hey, I'm still posting stuff for you. I'm still doing stuff for you, so to speak. Right.
1: Exactly. Like, and then plus, I think like even with startups, uh, we, we always like have this shoot for the moon philosophy, like it has to earn millions of dollars or it's a failure. Like, why can't it be successful if it earns you a few extra thousand a month? You know? Yes. Definitely. So like um, what, what what are some what are some of the more interesting guests that have been on your podcast?
0: Oh man, I've had some great guests. So um, last week I had a guy named Byron Robinson. He ran the 400 meter hurdles in the 2016 Olympics. So that was a great guest. He's in the in the financial industry now. Uh, I had a guy named Charlie Contugo. I know I said his last thing wrong. He's like pretty much our like top for co- photographer in Seattle. He just like he's been a musician.
1: Um, he had to, he had to Good, good life story. One guy, uh,
0: Miguel Ayala, out of Denver. He has a, a company that they, they uh, ship satellites into lower lower orbit. A guy named Cridden Morris, He's like a master violinist here in Seattle. i, I just had a, quite a few interesting guests. I'm so
1: fortunate like, with that. How, how, how did you, you said that? Like you have a huge backlog. Um, how did how did uh, are, are they reaching out to you, or are you reaching out to them?
0: It's a combination. Um, so like what I do, I, I reach out to my first connection on LinkedIn. I don't know as a role, I suppose my first connection links like a real estate agent. I'm not going to have on podcast or financial advisor. But like, you know, like I reach out to one person. She's the executive director for the um, American Cancer Society. So I reached out to her. I thought it would be a good one. I uh, reach out to a, a lady. She's the director for the uh, Messes Entrepreneurship Program, University of Washington. So long as I think it'd be an interesting story, like you know, if you're a real estate, yeah, i I probably not probably interested to talk to your financial advisor probably not unless I know you personally. Yeah, and then of course, like for the for the pocket agencies, a lot of them, like they they try to you know, talk to coaches. I don't really don't talk to coaches anymore unless I, I know them. You know, so it's you know, this. Yeah, are
1: are you kind of like trying to avoid people that just want to get on your show and advertise their product?
0: Yeah, I, I am. I mean, like. It's, and, that, and that's a myth too, because I'm going to have stories to tell. Like when I first started, I talked to a lot of coaches, like probably diverse percent like, you know, you just tell them like, I don't want to say like use college shares, but it's all about them, what they can do, you know, so I, I try to stay away from them now, which I, of course I can, not I, I can be a little more uh, discerning in what guests I have
1: on now. So I know, I know a lot of people are using these AI tools and things of that nature. Are you uh, into the AI or are you kind of staying away? Oh, man, I want to get more involved, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm so far
0: behind that kind of stuff. It's like. Like, is this the beginning of Skynet, you know, is the beginning of the, yeah. of the uh, iRobot takeover, you know, like, I mean, who knows? It's some, I think it's some good or bad stuff, too, you know. I don't think people, one thing I talk about on a podcast all the time, I don't think the average America realizes, like, how much tech is coming, right? Like, we have no clue. Like, I think we're going to have, like, drone deliveries everywhere. We're going to have, it's, uh, it's, it's it, I
1: don't know. I think yeah, it's, it's scary it, and exciting at the same time. Yeah, it's like something that could immediate like completely revolutionize society, but like you mentioned, it's extremely dangerous if uh you know something goes wrong. Like yeah. once, once this thing gets unleashed on the internet, you can't put it back in the bottom.
0: Yeah, and I'm kind of the same subject. I just hope that people like you know thinking through all the consequences, right? Cause I, I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, like like uh, autonomous trucks like semis like driving and no more drivers, right? Well, if you do it overnight, you're gonna have like hundreds of thousands of people unemployed, right? Yeah. Now of course they're gonna to have to find new jobs, like maybe doing something else with a trucking industry, but still like if you got rid of all I'll make this number of two hundred and fifty thousand truck jobs overnight, man, that's like a hit to the economy that's really big, right? It's, like so someone smarter than us thinking these these things through. I, I hope so.
1: And I have heard some people kind of compare it to like the calculator, but I, I almost feel like it's more than that. It's more like paying somebody to do your homework for you, like, how many people are going to lose their skill set because they're just going to chat GBT, hey, type me up a marketing promotion. Yeah. Or
0: exactly, you know, because, you know, you lose that brain function, because, like, um, oh, I watched a friend from, um, man, what's his name? Um, Neil Tyson, the, the black scientist, the famous mm-hmm. one. So he was talking about um, how people always say, like, why oh, should I learn math? You know, I'll never use math, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, the, the point is not that you're going to learn math. By using math, you're, you're training your, that part of the brain to be useful, right? So you don't yeah. use math. You don't use that part of the brain. So if you use ChatGPT, chat GPT, you know, how much of our, our brain function are we going to lose? And the be danger is like chat T-T-P or A or whatever, what if someone purposely codes in the wrong information, right? Like someone, like for mm-hmm. example, you ask a question, who is the first person in the United States? And someone puts in... Um, I don't know um Dave Chappelle, you know, obviously it's wrong, but hundred years from now, maybe people don't know it's wrong, right yeah, like, like, like who's validating the information is correct
1: yeah that's that's that's, that's, a, that's a big danger, like you know the less research that we personally do, we're just going to accept whatever this AI has given to us, and I think the other well, danger is like if it's doing your, the job for you then it just essentially replaced you like you're just kind of like just there you know like if it's just writing the marketing campaign for me if it's writing the novel for me um it just, it's essentially just replaced me yeah and why would it why pay you exactly do you think this is going to lead to like widespread layoffs in the in the future i think it is to be honest with you i think it is uh, another thing that
0: was kind of some same subject, you know, like recovery came, remote work came, and all these people are like, hey, I don't I don't need to go back to office. I can do I can do my job from here. Well now employers are like, hey, you know you're right. You can you, you can do your job from there. However, comma, anyone can do this job from anywhere. So instead of me paying you a hundred thousand a year to whatever you're doing, I could pay someone else. Like instead of me paying you hundred thousand dollars a year and you live in Seattle and you're like six blocks away if you don't want to come to work, I could pay someone, and, you know. High out of Alabama, seventy thousand a year. Yeah, you know, and I don't think people are thinking thinking like that. Or maybe just you know, outsource to a third world country.
1: Yep, yeah. that's 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 like a, one of the major trends. Um, I kind of feel like a lot of the tech giants they're kind of laying people off here. Oh yeah, and yeah, they're gonna move the jobs over to another country. But I think like you know, it saves uh, those companies money initially, but in the long run, if our economy collapses, who's gonna buy their products?
0: exactly and like you always say on your post like you're you're advising people like no matter how good your job is or what is going on like you know you know you gotta search for a job every every once in a while keep your skills up to date but like thing, the last thing you want is you know you work for some company for three years and you think everything is groovy and then you know you get the day yeah. off notice because it's not like these companies say like, keep you two notice right or hey jc you know Things are going bad. You might lay off too much. You need to start thinking for a job. And I was like, hey, Jason, come in here. You're fired or you're laid off, right? And then yeah. you're like, oh, shit. And I think you talk about a good thing too, Kevin. At least I think you do. Like, you, you can't be all, you, you can't be like, my job is my existence, right? You can't be, sure. Kevin Miller's a software developer at the SimSus company, right? No, you have to be like, I'm Kevin Miller, software developer. I'm Jason Kevin, this, right. Because these companies like they have no loyalty, right? It's it's a two way street.
1: Yeah, but it's not like a, it used to be like somebody to stay at a company for for uh, 20 years get a pension, like pensions yeah. are non-existent.
0: Get okay, a go to watch. Yeah, it always makes you laugh when like you're on LinkedIn and someone say, oh, so-and-so left me with no notice. And this is like employees don't work for more. Like get the black out of here, right? Are you kidding me right now? You know darn well that you would have got rid of that person with no remorse.
1: You know, if you had to, yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, people are getting kind of like a PTSD from this uh, from this job market because they're not being prepared. Like nobody's telling them. Like you know, there's, there's a lot of positivity. That's that's really what gets people to thumb your stuff up, but nobody's telling the reality. Like you could be laid off at any time from these companies, so you need to have like a nest egg. You need to have savings. You need to stay prepared.
0: Yeah, so I have a side hustle, and always like you know. If you're a developer, always be, you know, learning new skills, you know, upgrading your stuff, make yourself more um, employable or whatever. Another thing, too, that like people don't realize, maybe they probably do right. I don't care what, what the economy is like, what the unemployment rate is right. It's never easy to find a job. I don't care what okay. people say right. You to know, the best economy in the world, it's hard to find a job. What economy is hard to find a job. It's, it's never easy. And I think it's a, for me. My point, I think it's a reason for this. One reason is I think it's always a disconnect. Like, suppose you, suppose you get laid off, suppose you have a company and you, and you lay someone off, right? Well, suppose I get laid off from a job. Well, I need to find a job right now, like sooner or later, right? I have a mortgage, I have bills to pay. Like, I can't mess around a week, three, or four months to find a job. I need one now, right? Well, if a company's hiring, you know, suppose a company, like, someone quit from a job, right? And so they kind of need someone right now, but they take the time, right? They're going to have, like, other people doing different duties to do their job. You know, they're gonna like you know go through all this interview process. So the employees at a job now. The company is gonna take the time right? So I think that's a makes, big makes disconnect. And another disconnect, I think, it's between the I think it's between the candidate, the recruiter, and the hiring manager. Right. A lot of times, the candidate, you know, they apply for jobs that we're not really qualified for. I know some people say, you no. Know, if you if you uh, meet seventy percent of the qualifications, they'll apply for it. You no, know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Other people say, you no. Know, or higher percentage. So a lot of people apply, apply for jobs you know, nowhere, nowhere qualified for. I think that's a disconnect. Then of course, you know, recruiters and both candidates that go to each other now, of course you're right. Now, no, I look for a job every six months. I've heard things where I got, I got the final interview and then heard nothing from anyone else. Like, man, I made the final interview. Can you at least like send me an email saying, you're not hiring me, right? Like, you know, so that's ridiculous. I think the one, one that does not get enough blame is a, is a hiring manager, right? Mm-hmm. Hire a manager, they'll do a job description, the recruiter will have the perfect person to go there and then they'll, they'll change the um, description, right? Or, well, this person is not good enough, or this person is this or this person is that right. And so it just goes back and forth. And just nothing too, but jobs, Things think stats show like, for every job there's like 200 applications and they only maybe call like 10 for phone interviews, maybe five for in-person interviews, so if you get an in interview and if you don't make it you should take that as a good time you're doing something right now if you're applying a hundred job you don't even get a phone call a phone interview like you do something wrong right need you get some advice from someone
1: yeah like what, what what are some of the things that people are doing that kind of turns off employers from them so one thing i realized like everyone like you're gonna have all these people
0: say i'm a hiring expert no one's a hiring expert right like no one i don't care what they say so you're telling me every person you hire to stay with your company Every person of your company is like still doing great things. I won't bet, I'll bet my retirement. The answer is no, right? And so, and you really don't know what people want to do. Like I like um, like some of the startups. So I tell I'll tell people like having a resume and a, and a pitch deck is the same thing. You, you give it twenty five people, get twenty five different opinions. Only opinion that matters is a is a hiring manager or recruiter, right? So like I know people like who they only like black and white resumes. I know people like they like creative stuff. I know people like this, like different things, right? You never know what someone likes or doesn't like, right? Like for me, no, I'm a military veteran. So when I work jobs, if someone's a veteran, I kind of try to push my head if I could, as long as they're qualified. And something you'll never know. So when I was college, I was president of my university, I was president of my university. So if I saw someone like student government on there, I'm like, okay, I need to take a closer look. because, like, you know, I knew what they had to do, right? And then, you know, I know some people like, don't like this, don't like this. And so... So when you get a, a read through us, I know people who this before. You got a network, right? For example, I was a HR director at a local college ship for a few years after I got out of the army, and for like we had like 200 applications for each job, right? So if I would go through them, whatever. But sometimes someone would call me, "Hey, Jason, hey, have you seen a, a resume from so and so?" No, it'll be, oh, hey, it's right here. Okay, I would never, you know, I would never even look for this person to call me, right? And so you had a network, and network, and network, you know, like. This is pretty much impossible to do, but they say if you're looking for a job or starting a company, you need, need to meet one new person each day. Is that doable? Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it's not right. But yeah, you got to you got to put yourself You can't if you look for a job from like your home computer every day, send out resumes. It's it's going to be hard for you, I think. But of course, you know, plenty of people find a job by doing that. So.
1: Yeah, yeah I think everybody got to do something that, that works for them. Um, but like from your experience, how important has it been to like actually go out and meet people and, you know, kind of shake their hand? Does, does that make uh, you stand out?
0: Yeah, I definitely think it makes you stand out because, they, you know, they put a name to the face, name the resume. Right. Uh, you know, you can say, like, for example, um, post Amazon's hiring here in Seattle. Right. You know, before you put your resume in, of course, Amazon's not a good example, but I use them anyway, because Amazon know from their returns, they're hiring like slow. But post you see Amazon's hiring like a marketing manager oh, Amazon hosting a marketing meetup, let me go, you know, and you meet the person hiring, right? And another thing too, like you always got to follow up and do different things. Like, just don't send your resume to the website, you know, find out who the recruiter is, find out their Twitter handle, like send them a Twitter message, you know, or Instagram message. Like you got to do things that make yourself stand out. And I you know it's a challenge, right? I mean, you all have lives, you know, if you're married, have kids or, you know, whatever case may be, you got to take care of that too. But it's definitely a challenge.
1: Yeah, I think people don't really realize the importance of kind of like learning marketing in different ways because like you mentioned, you got to make yourself stand out no matter what you do. Like even when we're doing this podcast, like what makes us different from the thousand other people doing the same thing?
0: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge finding a job regardless, right? And another thing too, like you got you some kind of mental toughness, right? Cause you're going to hear no, probably 99% of the time, you know? And you, you know, you're going to be like, you know, like, man, this is a perfect job for me I had a great interview. I got a good vibe and then like they go somewhere else right and, and another thing too like a lot of people get like depressed or, like kind of sad or or not having to get hired you know it's not fair but well, you got to keep in mind just maybe just maybe the other person will qualified to you right or maybe they knew the other person or you know there's so many reasons yep. for you not to get hired you know and you can't take it personal
1: yeah that that, that is interesting like you, you never know why he, your resume got rejected. You could be a great candidate, everything checked out, but like you mentioned, they simply knew the person and that's who they went with, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it could it could be anything, a any number of reasons, right? You know, and of course, someone might be illegal, some might be there's you no know, personal preference, you know? I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't being prepared for the reality of the job market. That's why they're finding it so hard, like, they kind of, you know, in order for like a boot camp, a coding boot camp to get people, they have to almost promise you a job. Like, hey, come here, pay 20,000, we can get you a coding job. But the reality is, probably got to put in hundreds of uh, applications and oh, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Especially
0: as junior developers. And it's really bad at Seattle, right? They're like, there's all these coding academies up here, boot camps, and all of them like, you know, pay this X amount of money and we get you a six-year job. But it's, yeah, it's, it doesn't work like that, you know I mean?
1: Like, do, do you kind of foresee like uh, politicians cracking down on these boot camps if they're making those kind of claims? They they need to, to be honest with you, right? I mean, like I, I said, like there's a boot camp in like every
0: city now. You know, like anyone can start one. I, I'm, I'm sure some are really good, you know. But and then, like, if you have a boot camp, like, how do you certify your instructors, right? Are you just hiring someone who's been a developer for like two years, right? Are you actually hiring someone who's like used to be a, a VP of engineering at a big company, right? Like, who's teaching these
1: people? Like, who's doing all that stuff? Yeah, sometimes from what I've seen, it's like uh, sometimes the people that's teaching the boot camp is like graduates. Like, oh, yeah, he did a good job. Let's hire him on.
0: Yeah, I've seen, I've seen that here in Seattle. I can't think of the name, but like, someone like, they're like top of class. They would become like a graduate assistant, you know, get paid a little bit of money. It basically be like a teacher's assistant, like what they do in college, you know. I've seen a lot of that. Which can yeah. be good, I guess, you know, but I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, the software industry is uh, it's interesting, um, like it's taking a tumble now, but everything kind of goes in a cycle, um, you know, it's going to ramp up again. But like in, in the next year or so, um, I think it's going to be really tough.
0: So what, what you take of this, Kevin? It's not like a lot of developers now, they're like, they used to, they used to have a bachelor's degree in something else or, you know, a PhD in something, master in something. Or they spent five years at, you know, a plumber or five years at a salesperson. And then they want to be a developer. Do you think it's because they think it's easy money? Oh, I'll, I'll just learn this. I, I learned this. I can learn
1: development
0: in six months
1: and make all this money, right? Yeah, they, I, I think the the big thing about software development is, like, to an extent, there's not the academic gatekeeping where it's like, okay, you got to have a master's and you got to come from the right school. Like, if you could do the job, you could get get paid. But a lot of people don't realize that it's not easy to do that to to get. Skill to the extent where a company wants to pay you six figures, like it's like the, the what, what really gets you paid is okay. Say for example, um, you have this big company, uh, you have a million, you know, multi million dollar a day uh, product. You know, if something goes wrong. You're paying me to be able to fix it quickly because the longer it's down, the more money you lose. Like there, there, there's a lot of pressure there as well. Um, but I, I think, you know, the, like like we mentioned, there's the boot camps. There's all these other entities. They profit off of like getting more candidates, more bodies in their schools. So they got to kind of sell sell the dream that, hey, you you come here two months. Two months in then you'll come out with a 100k job which i mean that may have been true like five years ago when there was like an intense demand for developers but there's not enough supply but you know like economics always levels out so now there's more supply than there is demand that you're not going to just come in here getting like six figures
0: yes and kevin are you saying this tell me if, if i'm wrong but it's not like a lot of developers especially junior developers, they have this attitude like you know. A company needs to get a chance for me, right? A company needs like, pay me six figures and then they'll train me how to do this job in three months, right? And I think that's wrong because most companies, like, they're not going to pay you six figures to learn the job, or they? Like,
1: you just yeah. got to know how to do something right away, right? Yeah, six figures, you, you better be ready to go. Like, you, you better bring value immediately. They're, they're not going to hold your hand. Uh, even like when you're making like 60K, that, that's more than most people are making, you know? Uh, like the the reason they they had they trained you before was because there there wasn't enough supply, so they could say to get somebody capable of doing a job. Yeah, we'll we'll spend some time like holding your hand. But uh, hey, so this is
0: kind of a subject, but like you you know like you missed the money amount of money made. And so I was watching the TV show, right? And it was like, and so the, they're talking to these females, and they're like, hey, uh, like what, how tall you want a man to be? And they're like, everyone's like six two, right? Six two. Okay, well. Only like 3% of the world is like over 6'2", right? Okay, so that's, that's a lot of people out. And they said, well, what do you think a single, a single guy in America makes? What average money do you think they make, right? Oh, he has to make at least six figures, 200,000, 95,000, right? Yeah. And they, and they said the average single man in America makes 37,000, right? And so they tell these females, you're you, you trying to look at someone who makes over six figures and six for two, that's less than 1% of the population, right? Right. Back to developers, right, you know, they're going to pay $60,000, $100,000. they are getting way more than the average salary of most of you, the average American, right? And so, companies going to affect you, like, like you said, give some value, like, and, and make it, it's a contribution,
1: I think. Yeah, I think, like, people think it's like a magical industry. It's not like law or, you know, medicine where they kind of realize, like, uh, you have to be really good if you, because, if you want to get in because it's so saturated, mm-hmm. they kind of have that fantasy like, yeah, I could just show up, do a little bit of work and, you know, company's going to, you know, fill my bank account with a lot of money. But it's it's not like that anymore. Yeah. It's, this industry's matured like all the other ones.
0: Yeah, or I'll, I'll just go on or Upwork and make websites for people and make money that way. Well, if they don't know you on those platforms either, you're going to struggle too, I think.
1: Yeah, I, I think like a lot of people... Who really blow up? Who make a lot of money? They got in early, like with podcasting. If you really want to blow up, you had to get in early when there wasn't as much competition. Uh, same, same with all these other industries. Like if you get in early, you have a huge advantage. But like uh, if you get in later, you, your skills have to be exceptional, or you just have to have something that really makes you stand out. And that's how like the software industry is now.
0: Yeah, and also you with know, a junior developer, a developer in, in, in general, like. I think a lot of developers, they're like in you know, a bubble, like they like, you know, the developers of their own language, the way that like, they talk to, you know, everything has to be like in detail. I mean, and of course, is on the startup founder or the company owner that like, communicate what they want. But like, if, if you're working with someone, they say, uh, build, build this for me. I think you should ask some detailed question, right? Like you said, build this door for your example. Like, where do you want to handle that? Where do you want the thickness at, right? Because most mm-hmm. people, like, I know for me, I'm, I'm guilty of this. When I'm someone to build something, I'll say like, build this, look like this. A lot of us non-tech founders lack like the skill to communicate properly to developers, right? And I, I think developers have a part in fixing that. Also, like, non-tech founders have a way to fix that too, I think.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the communication is important, and uh, be like, if if you're an employee, like being proactive, that's really how you get promotions. Like, you're not waiting for your boss or manager to say, hey, do this, do this, do this. You're asking like, hey, is this good? Is this what you wanted? Okay, what, what should I do next? Like, like a, a, lot, a lot of people are kind of passive in the, in the workplace. It's just always waiting, 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 waiting for somebody to give them work, waiting for somebody to tell them what to do. But to, to be in a leadership position, that's where you have to be like more proactive.
0: And it's not difficult to make yourself stand out, right? Because I'm, I'm making this number up, and, and, and I think this is now like, for all time in the past, and that that's not for development, like you know, HR people, market, anyone in general, right? Is it like eighty percent of people like drop me back like twenty like percent of people have that too? Like, pull out for you, Kevin, and you're you paying me $100,000 a year? Like man, Kevin's paying a hundred thousand dollars a year, man. I gotta do this. I need to do that. I need I need to prove my am that amount of money. I need to give him twenty thousand dollars of value. If he asks me to do something. Maybe it's not my job of need to figure this shit out, you know, and then I think the other 80% they're like, Oh, Kevin's only paying me 100%. It's not my job. So I'm not doing, it, you know, um, you know, this is too hard. I don't know where to do it. Right. All that kind of stuff. Right. And then people, the 80% ask why the people in percent always get promoted or get raised. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause they'll make, they make them st- stuff stand out. Now don't be wrong. You know, maybe your life is like, you, you know, you don't want to get promoted or get a raise and you're discontent. I mean, there's, there's, you know, this place those people too, right? But, like, don't complain you do your a race. You have this attitude, oh, I'm only doing this, I'm only doing that, right?
1: Yeah, I think, like, at the end of the day, uh, we have to realize the cold hard realities of what a business is. It's like something yeah. that you're there to make money for somebody. And they're going to look at you. Are you bringing value? What kind of impact are you making? You make a lot yeah. of impact, you get promoted. You don't make any impact, they fire you yeah so because like you know most businesses are not nonprofits
0: and even nonprofits have to break
1: even. exactly. So I th- you know I think like even junior developers need to start thinking like why would a company want to hire me? what kind of impact would I bring to the co- the company And a lot of companies don't hire junior developers because one you have to train them. two, it might be months before you know they get up to speed and three by the time they're up to speed, and they start making contributions they're already like looking for another job so it's like i'm not going to come company i i'm not going to train the next company's mid-level developer i
0: know that's a big risk you know companies have to take you know and they don't want to take that big risk
1: exactly so, so so now like as a junior you almost have to come in as a, a mid-level somebody's just ready to go
0: here's a question for kevin let's suppose you're hired a junior developer and you asked
1: them, "Hey, let me see your, your portfolio." and they said, oh, I don't have one. What would your mm-hmm. answer be? yeah i probably, probably have to uh if I didn't cut them short, I would have to really like grill them on the you know technical stuff like do you really know these frameworks mm-hmm. like uh you know if 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 they can really talk their way through a, a technology, then maybe I can like you know ask them like further questions and see like, why don't you have a portfolio? Yeah. Or maybe I'm working on like a project that, um, you know, I can't really reveal what it is, but, um, if they don't, if, you know, if if they don't have that portfolio, they're going to have to do something else that really makes them stand out. Like they can't just, uh, come and give me the impression that they, they're not doing any work.
0: Okay. Yeah. It surprised me how many developers and designers on my portfolios.
1: So, so you've come across a lot of, uh, of, of juniors that, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, what well, what is that pitch to you? Like, how, how are they saying? Like, uh, a lot of it is like, you know, like,
0: trust me, I know what I'm doing, you know, or I can't share my portfolio cause it's private or just effort or all the kind of things, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think if it, the, the more risk somebody has to take on you to hire you, the the less compensation you're gonna you're gonna offer. Them. Like, you know, like your your risk. Like, I can't just pay you all this money and I don't know what I'm getting. I know. But yeah, man, uh, I know I know it's coming to the top of the hour, man. I'd love to have you back. I know I have to get out of here and do some things. Man, are you open to coming back and we can oh, yeah. continue this conversation?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we have a lot more
1: to talk about, no doubt. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate you for coming through.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Kevin. I
1: really appreciate it. All right, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you all next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jason Kavnis experience. Be sure to connect with us across social media at Kavnis HR. Thank you, and remember to
0: be great every up?
1: you got to pump it up.